my name is Elijah and welcome to my podcast, Songwriting for Songwriters. Joining me today is producer Youth. Youth's influence and impact on music is far-reaching and almost unparalleled. As a member of Killing Joke, The Orb and The Fireman with Paul McCartney, he's created works of sonic mastery. And as a producer, his influence is massive, working with commercially successful bands such as The Verve, Primal Scream, Crowded House and many others. And as a pioneer and curator of music, he's been responsible for masses of ambient and electronic masterpieces with plenty of dub to go with it. He's a fascinating dude and uh, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Please subscribe and thank you for listening. Okay, joining me today on my Songwriting for Songwriters podcast is Youth. How you doing? Hi. Hiya. Yeah. Thanks for calling me. You've got a beautiful room behind you there with loads of books and CDs. Is that your studio? Yeah, study. Wicked. Mm. Awesome. So what are you currently working on? Are you uh, being creative right now? I always try and be creative, yeah. If I'm not doing music, I'm painting, drawing, writing, all kinds of things, lino cuts. Um, so at the moment, I'm doing quite a lot of painting. I'm doing a fair bit of music. Um, I'm getting um, composing music for new David Tibet album, um, meditation albums. Okay. Uh, yeah, some I, some projects I can't really talk about yet, but quite a lot of stuff. Really? Yeah. So do you yeah, have some as well? I'm writing quite a few songs at the moment, where I, which I'm singing, which I may, it may end up as a solo album, may end up as songs for other people. Great, 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 great. And do you find like obviously because you know songwriting, and if you like with capital letters, songwriting is maybe different from sort of producing or writing other bits of music. When you're writing your own songs and singing, you're in a different kind of mindset to when you're writing music, or is it the same sort of uh, zone that you're in? For me, it's all about your intentions. So yeah. if I'm asked to just produce and not write, then I'll look at it from that perspective. If I'm asked to collaborate, co-write and produce, and I'll look at it from that perspective. If I happen to write something and then give it to an artist and then produce it, then that's a different mindset. They're all kind of different mindsets, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's quite important, isn't it, to know what the, your role is or in the, what the artist wants you to do or, or intention, because it gives you the sort of guidelines to kind of create in, I guess, does it? Intentions are everything, really. Intentions are really important. Uh, your own intentions, why you're doing it, what were you doing there 10 hours a day? Yeah. Um, what, what's the point of that? Where's the meaning? Where's the purpose? Um, that's a deeper conversation. But once Good. you've got your intentions... You know, so you can write them down, line them up, then, then focus on that, and then let the magic happen. Love that. I think that's bloody good advice, actually, to to remain in. Because you're right, you can lose ten hours, can't you? Or you can use a, lose a week or a month or a year working on something. If you don't know what your intentions are, you're going to lose your time and your magic. Yeah, and even with the best intentions, may not get anything. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I read the other day that when you back in the day you worked with Stott Aitken and Waterman for a while. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know the way I think of you as a cultural figure and a producer, and I'm sure many people wouldn't necessarily equate you to um 
working with those guys, but I was really interested to know like how that impacted you as a musician and writer and if, if it did at all, what you kind of learned. Well, it's a good question. Um, you know, in the 80s, I was quite a maverick because people accused me of being quite genre blind. And I go from the noise of Killing Joke to disco pop or whatever, you know, um, dance music, which was unusual then. It's not unusual now, no. but then it was. Um, luckily, the world's moved towards me in that respect. Yeah. Which, is, which has given me some longevity, I think. Um, but at the end of the day, it's your work that gives you work. You know, it's that's what counts. Uh, if the work's really good, you'll keep getting more work, I think, in, in that respect. But um, certainly with Sock Aiken Warman, it was an unusual one. I left Killing Joke, started my own band, Brilliant, which had many members in over a, a few short years. And we were managed by Bill Drummond and David Balf, who both became legends in their own right. Um, but they both came together from the Liverpool days of Zoo Records and Zoo Publishing. David Balf was the bass player in Teardrop Explodes. Bill Drummond was in Big in Japan. And they were big cornerstone of that Liverpool psychedelic uh, post-punk experience, Bunnyman. Yeah. Uh, so much. And so yeah, it was good working with them. And they kind of battled with me with this sort of loose collective of, of musicians that had two drummers, two bass players, two keyboard players. Um, I don't think I was quite clear about my intentions with that band, but I was happy just to experiment after being in a very rigid format with Killing Joke. And, um, and that's what we did, but we kind of ran out of steam, made our own album, and then that was rejected by our label, Warners. And they gave us an ultimatum to either split the band down to three-piece, me, Jimmy Corty, and June, and Montana, and do an album with Stock Aching Warman. We liked the idea of that, because we really loved um, Spin You Around Like a Record Baby, which which was a huge record for me. It crossed the dance floor, indie, punk, everything. Yeah. And not many people could produce a sound like that in the UK at that time. So, I, you know, I'd actually gone with one of Marauders guys, as always be held. I'd gone with uh, one of Quincy Jones guys to get that American sound. Um, the keyboard player from the Blockheads, Chaz Jankel, produced a single for us. None of it had quite made the mark. But, with these guys, I thought, well, let's have a go. I can see how they do it. And they had a really good way of working, of just getting into samplers. Uh, and they get they work really fast, and write and record a track a day, you know. Um, it was weird, though, because this was before they became uber pop. Yeah. But, I mean, one of our backing singers stayed behind one day, and, and they kept her in and got her to voice this backing track they'd done which I wish they'd given to us, which was Say I'm Not Your Number One by Princess. And and they really nailed it with that. That was a number one record. And they were getting that BB&Q, SOS band sound, Jam and Lewis sound. I was really into that at the time. Um, but it wasn't quite right for us. And it was a bit odd for people getting their head around me coming from Killing Joke with this sort of shiny pop thing. And we were being quite satirical with it. Mm. I mean, this was... For, for the basic foundations for the KLF. We were doing the dance routines. We were trying to 
different ideas of videos. All that came to focus and fruition with the KLF later with Jimmy and Bill. Yeah. Um, uh, and what I kind of tangented it off and started the orb with Alex or encouraged Alex to start the orb and started working with him radically on that. And then he was working with Jimmy. It was, it was a big South London bohemian collective, really. So, But it was odd that Bill and Balfi were pushing me to work with these out-and-out pop producers like Kylie's producers. They hadn't done that then, but I thought that was odd because they come from a very artistic post-punk collective, but I, I realised they had huge grand ambitions themselves, yeah, which was later realised with Bill with the KLF and, and for Balfi with um, Food Records and uh, and signing Blur. I mean, I think we Brilliant's record was the first record out on Food. Wow. Um and uh, for, uh, yeah, but brilliant itself. The album was a little disappointing with the charts. We got some good American dance stuff. Some of the songs were good, but it was really important for me. Watch and Jimmy watching how they worked as a team. Really, that that, that fast a track a day, yeah. and how they were fearless in just stealing stuff and built. He would come in with these US import 12 inches and go, that's the baseline. Put another one, those are the chords, put it together. And that that was seminal, I thought. And I loved that. I thought it was really punk and it was really kind of Jamaican in a way. And yeah. speed of it was quite like that as well. And Motown, I mean, they were obsessed with Motown. But it could get into the bland and glib with them, which... I almost got sacked from the band. They tried to get me sacked from the band because I was complaining about Mike was writing these like like really sentimental, soppy lyrics. And I'm like, we can't really have that. <laughs> and, and luckily, June and Jimmy wouldn't have it. But, I mean, they didn't want a maverick like me, you know, screwing up their uh, their master plan. That's amazing. No, it, did, it didn't really happen. But I learned so much. After, after that, me and Jimmy just went, how? You know? Yeah. We applied that philosophy to the writing um, of our, our own stuff and me as a writer producer. And yeah, I mean, that going back to the question, you know, like writing, producing is very thin, slim, slender line. Um, you know, even the tape has an impression on the work. Um, nevertheless, again, that comes back to intentions. You do what you're asked to do. Even if I'm just asked to produce, I might end writing a chorus or a middle eight. I won't ask for the publishing on that unless it's offered because I was only asked to produce. Um, you know, in a follow-up session, that might be a different thing. But initially, I, I, and always, I'll just go with the intentions. And that stopped me getting cynical and bitter. And it also allows me to give 100% whatever I'm doing. I'm yeah. never hot back. But if I'm invited into write, then I'll really push for that as well. I think sometimes when I'm not writing, I can have a certain, uh, a, a bit more of a vicious perspective on what's going on, which which is good. Soon as you're writing, you're like, suddenly you're just listening to that word or that phrase and thinking, is that good enough? And, you know, then you're the artist, like, and then your perspective goes out the window a bit. Um, but you can manage that, and I've, I've learned how to do that as well. But it's harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you, I also read um, on, on an interview talking about like creating chaos in the studio, or also talking about renewal for an artist and how 
one way of renewing yourself is to sort of destroy yourself and your point of view, which I think is fascinating, to be honest. And it's and well, it is, yeah, but necessary sometimes, absolutely. Yeah, it is. Yeah. When you when you're working with uh, people, sort of that idea of creating a bit of chaos. But I mean, you get it in bands, don't you? Anyway, like or in I don't know any kind of partnership, there's going to be something like that. Is do you find that is like a useful tool to create some conflict and like and what it just gives them more edge? What is that kind of? Yeah, I mean, generally there's enough conflict anyway. <laughs> yeah, but often there can be complacency. They could have had a lot of success. They could be tired. They could be burnt out. A hundred things, and they could just be lazy, you yeah. know. Yeah. And you know, my theory is that all great art has a, an intensity to it. So you know, including music, and so you need an intensity in the studio because it's only going to reflect what's going on. Yeah. Uh, if it's too complacent, too easy, too nice, yeah, I'll provide some challenges, um, one way or another, to raise that bar up to the right intensity you know will that be like in focus i mean would that be like challenging like an artist or a performer directly to change what they're doing or will it be more conceptual sort of like uh or a bit of both yeah both i mean they may play me a song i might go i just like that 30 seconds let's just loop that 30 seconds and try and sing the song over that and, and jam over that yeah, yeah that could be the uh shocking for an artist as well but it can be really you know it could be really great I, you know, I think I like, I, 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 you know, there's so many roles in the production thing, you know, like you can, you've got to be like the ringmaster, the taskmaster, the therapist, all these things sometimes. Um, and, you know, it, I'm happy to crack the whip where it's necessary. I'm known for being a challenging, tough producer. I've also known for working with challenging, tough artists. So, and artists that have a lot of disagreement because I'm pretty good at bringing everyone together on the page. And um, I think it's inevitable if you've got the right leadership that that will happen um, because it's like jury service. I don't know if you've ever done jury service. Uh -huh. but that was really a learning experience for me. And you've got to get a unanimous decision. And my experience of it, it was only me and one girl who, who thought this, this kid was guilty Everybody else like there's not enough evidence, and we decided she and I, and as I came out of that first session, she I said, "What do you do?" She said, "I'm a student. I'm doing um psychology." And I was like, "What's your thesis on?" And she was like, "Oh, it's a psychology of uh, juries." I said, "Oh, well, that's interesting. What happens?" She said, well, "Normally, everyone will come to a unanimous decision eventually, and it may be may start with one against." 12 and then they will argue over deliberate over days and then everybody will agree so i thought that really inspiring i thought well you can push that threshold and get through so we made an ex and an, an, a kind of an agreement to push that and we ended up getting unanimous agree agreement and even though i'm not really in um penal um ref uh you know sort of penalties or punishment i'm uh, the, the guy was actually turned out to be a really dangerous guy and, and that was hanging on a thread this case yeah. so we made the right decision everybody was happy about it but you know and i think in same in the studio you can go through all the avenues of possibility and eventually it will come to the definitive version yeah. 
yeah. you know, and that's what you're after, the definitive version. So I'm happy to crack that. Well, I'm happy to be tough. I, I can be really brutal and vicious, but I try and do, do it with a loving, kind way. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's, that's great. great. Again, that's my intention, you know. Um, but obviously that can be, the artists are very, very sensitive. And that can be too much for some artists, too confrontational. And uh, I've had to curb my, you know, procedures sometimes because of that. But I think when they, sometimes they find that refreshing as well. I mean, I do when I'm with the producer. So, you know, it's, uh, but it's a, it's a really tricky bag to unpack what that is. Yeah, yeah. So what about, like, you know, the Simon albums you made are incredible. And obviously it's you and Maka doing that. And, uh, you know, he's been known, I mean, he's been known from books I've read or from things I've heard, sometimes for being quite uh, particular about what he wants. Um, Yeah. How how do you find that creative relationship with him? Well, I think with him and also certain other artists of that stature, like with Gilmore, once you've earned their trust... And you've you they allowed you to have this command. Yeah. Then they quite enjoy being yeah. You know, yeah. treated like session musicians, right? That one, let's give give me a Phil Spector here, give me a you know a, a, a Shadows, Hank Marvin, whatever. Yeah. They will follow the direction. And then then there's the point, okay, I've got all I need, have a break, cup of tea, a snacker, I'll put it together, I'm doing an arrangement, they come in and go, Wow, how do we get that? You know, yeah. and that's why they they allow me to do that, I think, because, and it's also fun as a musician, just being a musician as an artist and not having to be the producer and look at the big picture and just play the bass, you know, um, or just play some drums. What, what do you want now, next? Okay, I love that, you know. So, you know, I think, um, but that's that's actually an incredibly weird and difficult quest-like journey to get to the position where you've got Paul McCartney who trusts you enough, where you have enough provenance and kudos to go, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. I'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. Because even with some of the best top producers in the world, as soon as they're in the room with him, they fall apart. And then he's like, who's this guy? You know? I guess that comes in a way, must come from you being a musician and performer first. Like Like, you're on the same zone aren't you like you and Paul both both bass players you play you right come and grab but I mean as a dozen producers he's worked with like that but where well, it hasn't worked right. you know right 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 it's a weird one you know it's magic there's magic there. there's mystery and magic and you know we're we're attempting to sort of unpack what that is it's it's for every time that works there's another time it won't work so, like, even though there's no rules, even the nose rules doesn't work sometimes. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's it, there's no you can't ever get to a complacent point where this is how I do it. And I mean, a lot of producers do. I mean, stop with Aiken Waterman would do that, and then it's like my way of the highway. This is how I do it. You know, that's it. You don't have a say as an artist. You just do what they tell you. But those records sound like that, and they don't always come off great for it either. Yeah. So. You know, I think my philosophy with as a producer is to get, get the best out of the artist. You know, yeah. it's not really 
I don't really, I've never really had a youth sound. I go from so many different genres. Let's see, you put Crowded House next to Pink Floyd, next to The Orb, next to... I mean, you would never know that they were made by the same person, except for there's a certain quality to them, or, or agree, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, this is and it's quite rare when... As well, you know, producers tend to have a sound, yeah, and then that blows up and they become big for three, five years, and then it's over. Yeah. So I kind of avoided that, and I've, for my own journey, I've taken on the challenges of working with different kinds of music, where I do things differently. You know, at the moment I'm doing a lot of '90s Britpop bands for Alan McGee. Um, you know, and I tend to make a point of not. I'm not trying to sound like a Britpop band in the 90s when I'm doing that. Try and do make them sound completely different. I mean, it still comes out like that at the end. Yeah, well, it's like I, I spoke to Kyle Falconer actually a few weeks ago yeah. and um, some of the tracks you've worked with them for The View. And, it, you know, like you said, it's, there's, there's a Britpop element, but actually they just sounded bloody great, those records that yeah. they played. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to make um, sounds that date the band. You don't want to make sounds that make the band sound old fashioned. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing ages so fast as a new sound. <laughs> so you're trying to make timeless, beautiful music. So it's a combination of all that. Also music has to be of its time. Mm. So it sound like it's today. Otherwise that won't sound right either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, there's so many elephant traps on the way down the pier to the cruise ship, you know, where you're doing karaoke. That, you know, so. Part of my job is to, you know, navigate the team and the artists around those, you know. Will you tell me about, like, one of the kind of most successful albums of all time, commercially speaking, but also I think in, in many ways, like, sonically, is Urban Hymns by The Verve. And obviously they're a band who were, like, in some sort of conflict at the time you were working with them, but came together to kind of complete the track, to complete the album. What what kind of, um, what do you remember from those sessions? Well, and I, well, I was commissioned to do a Richard Ashcroft solo album where he employed the band as session guys. Right, 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 right. But all the way through, I'm going, this is a verb, this is a verb. Yeah, yeah. And finally, when he got Nick McCade in at the end, then it was the verb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it was a difficult album to make, but it was an amazing album. And sonically and the arrangements and the performances are just beautiful. Yeah, and, and, and very successful. Yeah, well, one of my... Uh, greatest albums i think i've been involved with yeah, yeah I love it. it still sounds great i put i just happened to hear a bit of sweet symphony the other day in the first opening 10 seconds just there's you know there's obviously the string part but just the surrounding ambient noises are just beautifully you know it doesn't sound dated you know and a lot of the stuff oh, you know those i mean like, a lot of those sonnet um lucky man i mean that that's just um, I think they're up there with some of the best records. And I, even though I'm saying that I'm involved, but I agree. when I hear them on the radio, I'm like, wow. Yeah, they're huge. They're huge. Yeah. So how often do you write yourself personally like, or, or create every day? Is it an everyday thing for you or is it as you feel it? As I feel it, but most most days. I mean, I don't like going through a day without having written a song or made a painting or a drawing or something. If I'm not producing an artist, which I'm not doing that all the time. So, yeah, every day, pretty much. That's yeah. great. Um, yeah. So Space Mountain, your studio in, in Spain, that sounds that sounds and looks like an incredible uh, a place. Tell us about that. Is that a great place to work, work as well from outside of London? Yeah. So for me, that's like an absolute bespoke 
creative environment I created in Spain. And, you know, I got about 100 acres there, wilderness, and just made this incredible recording facility based on Studio 2 uh, Olympic, same builder, same sort of design, inspiration, and uh, but with lots of windows with 30-mile views. Awesome. Um, and yeah, it's, it's probably the best thing I've done now is build that studio. It's been such an amazing asset for me. Um, and I've made so many albums that, that have been mind-blowing and saved a lot of money from booking other people's studios, you know. Good stuff. Yeah. Do, you, do you believe in uh, the concept of the muse? Absolutely. I'm totally into Robert Gray's triple goddess thing, you know. Oh, cool. Cool, cool, cool. So you yeah. kind of, because uh, one of my things is when I'm writing is trying to get out of the way a bit and just sort of get into that state between, you know, kind of meditative really or get in a flow state where I might be doing something else and sort of just listen to what's going on. Um, and I've, it's fascinating to hear how the muse or people's concepts of that. So is it kind of just a let it flow thing for you or do you kind of wait and hear something exact that comes into your head or? No, 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 no. For me, the muse is a twenty-four-seven gig. That's that's the main yeah. job. Cool, cool. Being inspired and finding the muse, yeah, yeah. Uh, person or or a place or a book or painting or some poetry. Yeah, the muse is out there. But again, you might have to go to some challenging pace places to find it, um, and. It's not, it's not straightforward, you know. Um, but it's essential. I mean, I think it's great having muses and being inspired, and you have to be to inspire others. Yeah. Um, uh, and you have to, you know, embrace a full spectrum of of wisdom and knowledge to really do that properly. I think, and uh, but. You know, it's harder for the other people in your lives, your partners and your friends and your family. I mean, they, they, they're, you know, they're on the train or along for the ride, but they, they're looking out the window at the pile of destruction, destruction you're leaving in your way. And all you're doing is looking forwards, you know, and I'm going, we're going here. And yeah, it's, that's, that's tough for others, but for, for the artist or the, for me as a producer it's it's truly living your life fully yeah. you know full commitment it's what you have to do yeah i love that and um, what yeah. advice would you give songwriters particularly um you know because obviously you've been talking about production quite a bit but you've written you've written and produced and worked with some of the biggest songwriters of all time what advice would you give a songwriter what do they need to think about or any any kind of general advice or tips what would you say it's interesting because you think, like a lot of people who ask me for, you know, what I'm doing and advice, they, you know, I often say, like, you know, the Oscar Wilde, you know, all advice is bad, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I mean, I think they're guidelines. I think you have to be inspired. So you, you've got to be inspired to, to be able to write a song, whether it's coming from despair and, and pain or whether it's coming from joy and happiness. You have to be able to tell that story with your truth um, authentically for it to work. 
um, and you have to be inspired. So you have to live your life. You have to have lovers. You have to have your heart broken many times. You have to go and do crazy things, climb mountains, live in other countries, uh, you know, do things you'd never think you'd do when you were a kid and do them with passion and 100%. And then you'll find your inspiration, you know. Um, you won't get that from sitting at home watching Netflix, you know. Uh, yeah, that that's that's how you accumulate your wisdom by living a full life. Yeah, Again, yeah. That's, that's great for you when you're in the flow of that. It's tough for everyone else sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, ultimately, the price you pay for that is a huge sacrifice of family, freedom, um, you know, things people take for granted you won't have. Um, and what you get from that is beautiful art. And really what you have to develop is a a team of friends and family and lovers that support that, regardless of them being negated by it sometimes. You know, they, they, they get what you're doing and they're happy to support you and encourage you to get there for you. That's very you know? That that's rare to find, but when you find them, they often stay friends for life, so it's worth it. Yeah. But I've I've always been like, you know, if if um, if you can't handle it, see you later. You know, that's that's who I am. That's where I'm at. You know, that's what I'm doing. I think it's really important to know that about yourself. If you if you if this is what you do with your life, if art, songwriting, music is your thing, and it has, it's the only thing you can do, it's best to be fair with people, isn't it? Straight, straight up and say, this is who I am. And, yeah, uh, you can be honest. I mean, you can be honest be, with compassion as well. You don't have, you can you don't have to be. Um, you know, there's ways of doing it. So, but it's still the reality is there. I mean, and uh, but then in between all of that exciting stuff, there's the boring stuff, and that's being able to be on your own, um, be able to meditate to re re reboot the the mind and the, all the crazy stuff going through it recalibrate to your intentions and sense of purpose and meaning for what you're doing and that's quite a lot of work as well stay fit you know um you know that that's really important if you don't do that you you won't get you won't get be inspired either you'd be pulled down into the Mark, really. Meditation a big thing for you. Meditation is a big thing. Yeah, you've got to control your ego. Yeah, because your ego, you've got to annihilate the false ego, as they say in Tibetan Buddhism, and you have to, again, calibrate your intuitions and intentions towards what what's important, which is inspiring other people and making beautiful art, and uh, and you have to rem you have to curtail your ego enough to be able to do that and also work with the people and be the, the leader and being the leader is lonely you're out front everyone else is behind you know be able to do all that you you have to be uh balanced and the only way i found to be able to do that is getting fit and meditation and stuff like that going in yeah 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 much as you're going to go out into the world and live your life you, you have to reciprocally go in and, and and deal with your shadows and and the shamanic the shamanic 
practices are good at, at balancing that out, I think. But yeah, you've got to do that. Um, otherwise, you'll be too fucked up to be useful to anyone. Love that. And I agree completely. Um, just off the bat, off the top of your head, songwriters, who, who what kind of, uh, who would be like your top three, if you could, ch- I know it's a bit of a silly question, but who are the top three songwriters that have impacted you? Okay, well, you're going to have Lennon McCartney at the top there. Um, probably Leonard Cohen next, but then Dylan. Yeah, cool. Then maybe Neil Young. Yeah. But maybe more other writers, Richard Axtroff, uh people I've worked with, uh, Neil Fint. I mean, these guys uh, make, you know, write words and music that make people cry and make me cry, you know. Um, that's really powerful. Um, but, you know, I mean, who are the other great writers? Um, I mean, I quite like the Baccarat era, um, 60s stuff, uh, Scott Walker, all that as well. You know, they're great writers. You know the song Big Louise by Scott Walker? That's my favourite song of his. It's great. Right. Uh, it's well worth checking out. But um, do you reckon there's, with the songwriters you've worked with, some of the greats there, do you reckon there's like a common sort of characteristic or a common sort of uh, vibe? I mean, they're all different people, but do you think there's a following? Yeah. Link? There's a commitment right. to the world. Yeah. 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 Thank you. I'm going to ask you one final question, if that's okay, mate. And thank you very much yeah. for your time. Um, so I ask everybody this, and it will change from day to day, but if you could have uh, written any song or produced any record, that you didn't write and didn't produce, what song would you have liked to have written or what album would you have liked to have been involved with producing? Oh, I'm going to take two off the top of my head here. So one of the two, both of these have got great lyrical, just one line in the song that just floors me every time I hear it. So the first one's a pop record. Um, What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. The great song. Uh, I forget the name of the artist, but that's some yeah. Swedish pop thing. Um, that is just pop genius, I think. What yeah. is love? Baby, please don't hurt me. That's it. Yeah. And, and then the other ones, um, I'm not sure who wrote this, but it's um, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Uh, you know, once upon a time I was falling in love, now I'm only falling apart. Love. I mean, they're kind of silly ones, but I love them. Yeah, but they're I mean, big. big you know. I mean, if we're going to go deeper, I'll go into Fred Neil Dolphins, um, Leonard Cohen, you know, I mean, Dylan. <laughs> I mean, any any of those artists. Uh, Hendrix, I would have, you know, literally cut off a finger or an arm to do that. Maybe not an arm, but, you <laughs> know, I made a, a huge sacrifice to work with those cats. Yeah, for sure. You thank you so much for your time, and we look forward to hearing whatever you're coming up with next. Because it's always, a, you know, when your name's attached to it, there's a level of quality and creativity which is can be relied upon. So thank you for all your creativity, and thank you for your time. Thanks, my pleasure. <laughs>